section one of neighbourhood a year's life in and about an english village by tickner edwards this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter one january part one i have just been to the house door to take a look at the winter's night a change is coming the long frost nears its end so the old ferryman has told me every morning for a fortnight back and his perseverance as a prophet has been rewarded at last as i flung the heavy oak door back a breath of air struck upon my face warm it seemed as summer all about me in the grey darkness there was an indescribable stir and awakening of life the moon no longer stared down out of the black sky a wicked venomous bright beauty on her full-fed rather supercilious face now she wore a scarf of mist upon her brows and looked nun-like dim-eyed and mild the stars had lost their cruel glitter i stepped forth and felt the grass yield beneath my tread the first time for near a month past and as i stood wondering and rejoicing at it all some night-bird lanced by overhead a note of the same relief and gladness unmistakable in its shrill jangling cry hard weather in the country has a thousand enjoyments and interests for those who care to look for them but when the frost holds relentlessly week after week as it has done this january the grimmer side of things comes obtrusively to the fore there is too much shadow for the light it is as though you rejoiced in the beauty of sunset beams on a wall and it were the wall of a torture-house you lie awake at night and in the death-quiet stillness hear the measured footfall of death a dull reiterated thud on the frozen ground beneath the holly hedge each sound denoting that yet another roosting thrush or starling has given up the unequal fight roaming through the lanes in your warm overcoat and thick-soled boots you note the loveliness of the hoar-frost at one step dazzling white and at the next aglow with prismatic colour and turning the corner you come upon the gypsy's tent and realise that while you lay snug and warm nothing but that pitiful screen of old rent rags has stood between human beings and the terror of a winter's night on one of the hardest days i met the old vicar of windlecombe and regaled him with the story of how i had just passed along the riverway as the tide was falling how at full flood at the pause of the waters the frost had sheathed the river with ice and how when the tide began to go down this crystal stratum had remained aloft held up by the myriad reed stems until at length loosened by the sunbeams 
it had fallen sheet by sheet to the wildest most ravishing music each icy tympanum as it fell ringing a different clear sweet note and in return for my word picturing the old man gave me a story of the same times to match it how he had just learnt that certain ill-clad ill-fed children whom the law compelled to tramp every morning from reedsdown a little farming hamlet miles away over the frozen hills to the nearest school at windlecombe and tramp back again every night were given a daily penny between the three of them for their midday meal and how as often as not the bread they needed went unbought from the village store because of the lure of the intervening sweetstuff shop later in the red light of sundown i met those children going home as i had often met them plodding one behind the other heads down to the bitter blast each wore a great new woollen muffler and had his pockets stuffed i knew who had cared for them and my heart smote me somehow the pure austerity of the evening the radiant light ahead the white grace of the hills about me the star-gemmed azure above no longer brought the old elation the jingle of my skates as they hung from my arm took on a disagreeable sound of fetters though i carried them many a time after that i never put them away without the honest wish that i should use them no more but luckily these long spells of unremitting frost are rare in our country ordinary give-and-take winter's weather the alternation of cold and warmth gloom and sunshine wind and calm brings little hardship to any living thing country children have a wonderful way of thriving and being happy even though their diet is mainly bread and dripping and separated milk as for wild life we need expend no commiseration on any creature that can burrow and while there are berries in the hedgerows and water in the brooks no bird will come to harm it is curious to see how nature ekes out her winter supplies doling out rations as it were from day to day if the whole berry harvest came to ripe maturity at the same season or were of the like attractiveness it would be squandered and exhausted by the spendthrift happy-go-lucky hordes of birds long before the winter was through but many things are designed to prevent this under the threat of starvation all birds will eat berries but a great proportion of them will do so only as a last resource at first it is the hawthorn fruit that goes the soft flesh of the mayberry will yield to the weakest bill and the whole crop ripens together in early winter but even here nature provides against the risk of immediate waste that will mean starvation hereafter 
the missile thrushes have been given a bad name because each of them takes possession of some well-loaded stretch of hedgerow and spends the whole day in driving off other birds yet on this habit of the greedy missile depends not only his own future sustenance but that of all the rest for all his agility he cannot prevent each bird snatching at least enough to keep life going and while he is so busy he has himself no chance for gluttony other berry supplies such as the privet and holly seem to be preserved to the last because they are universally distasteful though nourishing at a pinch but it is the hips or roseberries which provide the best example of nature's way of conserving the lives of birds throughout hard weather against their own foolish squandering instinct these berries do not ripen all at once whether late or early in the season on every bush the scarlet hips soften in regular long-drawn-out succession some being ready in early winter and some not until well on in the new year when the hip is ripe the tenderest beak can get at its viscid fruit but until it begins to soften there is hardly a bird that can deal with it the roseberries with their scanty but never failing stores are really the mainstay of all in hard times it is doubtful indeed whether the birds that die wholesale in prolonged frosty weather are killed by hunger at all probably their death is due rather to thirst so long as the brooks run bird life can hold against the bitterest times but once silence has settled down over the countryside the only real silence of the year when all the streams are locked up at their source then begins the steady footfall under the holly hedge and you must needs turn from the crimson sunset light upon the wall i have shut the heavy old house door and got back to my table by the workroom fire the thaw has come in earnest now i can hear the drip of the melting rime in the garden far and near the warm west wind is beginning to sigh down the chimney the logs simmer and glow but not with the greedy brightness of frost-bound nights it is on these long winter evenings that solitude comes into her kingdom men are not all made alike nor is solitude with all a voluntary condition at least a self-imposed necessity as it is with me a something that i must fashion out of my own will and abnegation weave about me as the tunnel spider weaves her lair in this ancient house the walls are thick yet not so thick but that an ear strain will just trip the echo of far-off laughter if i but drew that curtain and set the door ajar i could catch a murmur of voices like the sound of beehives in summer dark 
and a dozen strides along the stone flag passage would yield me what i may not take for hours to come tried and meet companionship the flint and steel play of bandy jest my own to hold if i can in brisk exchange of nerving heartening thought but these things in their season mine now it is to dip the grey goose quill to gird up for the long tramp over the foolscap country before me that trackless white desert where i must lay a trail to be followed whether by many or few or none or with what pleasure or weariness i may never certainly know for the writer is like a sower that is ever sowing and passing on he can seldom do more than take a hurried fleeting shoulder glimpse at the harvest behind him nor see who reaps if haply it be reaped at all scratching away in the cosy fireside quiet of the old room there comes to me at length a sound from the chimney corner to which i must needs listen no matter what twist or quirk of syntax holds me in thrall you often hear aged country folk complain that the crickets no longer sing on the hearth as they used to do in their childhood my own crickets have always seemed to sing blithely enough too blithely at times to help one forward with a difficult task but i had always been glad to accept the statement as one more proof of the decadence of modern times hobnobbing one winter's evening however with the old ferryman in his riverside den and noting how merrily the crickets were chirping in his chimney corner i wondered to hear him give way to this same lament then for the first time i realised that not the crickets but his old ears were at fault though the little smoke-blackened cabin rang with their music the old man who would on the loudest night have heard a ferry call from the other side of the water instantly failed now to grip the high-pitched sound and this set me to philosophizing when the crickets ceased to pipe in my own chimney corner then and not till then i will admit i am growing old but though we speak of the chirp or pipe of the cricket and grasshopper it is well to remember that neither these nor any other insects possess a true voice it would be nearer the fact to call the cricket a fiddler than a piper for it is by sitting and drawing the corrugated rib of his wing-case to and fro over the sharp edge of the wing underneath that his shrill note is developed and it is only the male cricket who can chirp the female carries upon her no trace of any fiddling contrivance when all things were made and made in couples on the females of at least one numerous species it is pleasant to remark a significant and commendable silence was imposed solitude by a fireside in an old country dwelling 
the murmurous night without and within the steady clear glow of candles made by your own hands out of wax from your own hives it would be strange if the evening's work failed to get itself done cleverly and betimes pleasant as it is to all penmen to be achieving there is no depth of satisfaction like that of leaving off then not to return incontinently to the sober colourfast world of fact but to stay in your dream country idling a while by the roadside is one of the great compensations of this most exacting of lives your tale is done you have scrawled the end at the bottom of the sheet and thrown it with the others you have turned your chair to the fire put up your slippered feet on the andiron and have filled your most comfortable pipe the end it is in very truth for all who will read the tale but for you there will never be an end just as there never was a beginning to it unbidden now and not to be gainsaid even if you had the mind your dream children live on in the town or country nook you made for them live on increase and multiply finish their peck of dirt add to the world's store either of folly or sanctity come to their graves at last each by his own inexorable road and each leaving the seed of another tale behind to the enviable reader when after much water spilling and cracking of crowns jack has got his jill and the wedding bells are linlan loaning behind the dropped curtain there is the satisfaction of certainty that so much love and one pair of hearts at least are safe from further chance and change in the whirly gig of life but to the teller of the tale there is no such assurance just as his dream children came out of an immortality he did not devise so will they persist through an eternity not of his controlling and for ever they will be subject to the same odds of bliss or disaster as any stranger that may pass his door yet being only human he will nevertheless go on with his tales in the secret hope that jove may be caught napping and a little heaven be brought down to earth before its allotted time for living in a world of law and order where even omnipotence may not deny to every cause its outcome is too realistically like camping under fire the old fatalists had peace of mind because they believed it availed nothing to crouch when the bullets screamed overhead nor even to dodge a spent shot but to take one's stand in the face of the myriad cross-purposes and side issues of an orderly universe needs a vastly different temper perhaps it is just the secret longing in all hearts to have at least a little make-believe of certitude if nowhere else but in the pages of a story 
by which the art of fiction so hugely thrives i have put out the candles each shining under its little red umbrella of paper the better to see the joyous colour of the fire when drab thoughts come those night birds of sombre feather the pure untinctured glow from well-kindled logs has a wonderful way of setting them to flight let unassailable optimism make his fire of coals for him of questioning craving often craven heart there is no warmth like that from seasoned timber coals with their dynamic energy their superfluity of smoke their sudden incongruous jets of flame seem to be forever insisting on facts you would fain forget a while much as you may admire them and depend on them the progress and competition of outer life but wood fires serve to draw the mind away from modernism in all its phases so that you burn the right kind of wood and this is important your fireside thoughts need never leave the realm of cheery retrospect good seasoned logs of beech or ash are the best oak has no half moods it must make either a furnace unapproachable or smoulder away in dead dull embers elm gives poor comfort and the slightest damp appalls it poplar is charity fuel burn it will indeed to good purpose but too explosively there is no rest by a fire of poplar one must be forever treading out or parrying the vagrant sparks a joyous colour it is the wavering amber light that fills the old room now from the piled-up beechen logs joyous yet having a sedate ruminative tinge about it like old travellers tales of ancient times nor does the colour appeal only to the eye there seems to be a fragrance in it that this is no mere conceit but simple fact i was strangely reminded when i blew the candles out and from the smouldering wicks two long white ribbons of vapour were borne away on the draught the fragrance of the smoking wax brought up a picture of the summer nights when the bees lay close to fashion it round about the cluster in a pent-up hive were thousands of little vats of brewing honey each giving off a steam that was the life spirit of clover fields and blue borage and sainfoin which spreads the hills with rose-red light all these mingled scents had got into the nature of the wax and now they were given off again in sweet-smelling vapour such a fragrance as you may rarely chance upon in certain foreign churches where the old ordinances yet prevail and the candles are still made from the pure product of the hives and it is the same with burning logs each kind of wood has its own essential odour which pervades the room 
as though it were soul and body with the light you cannot separate the two no riding down of fancy will dissociate the flickering gypsy gold of the embers and the perfume of the simmering bark if these do not fill your mind with memories of the green twilight of woodlands of hours spent in leafy shadows of forest glades then then you are not made for a country fireside and were happier hobnobbing with modernity by his sooty coal-fed hearth End of section one